Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Creep Dive. One, two, three people are hosting. <laughs> One of them is Sophie White. Thank you. And uh, best-selling author, Cassie Delaney. Yeah. Good in tech. And me. So, here we are. A Jen O'Dwyer, D-W-Y-E, or isn't it great? Everyone's here. I'm glowing. What are you? <laughs> you are glowing. Oh. <laughs> I'm on it's this that vitamin vitamin juice. Vitamins? Called Mood Protect. Well 6% done. of your celium for the day. I, hang on. Yeah. You said mood protect and I would see that word as being pronounced mude. Like uh, nude. Mude. I think it oh, is mude like mude. nude. Mude. Because it's made by the nude collective. Okay, thanks. There you not, go. Not spawn, <laughs> but they gave us free shit. It's delicious. How is everyone? Great. Do you want the real answer or the... We're on camera answer. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Bad news if you live in California. Go yeah. on. There's been an absolute invasion uh, of a particular type of, not an insect, but a worm. They, they're worms. They're, they can jump a foot in the air. Why? And they're 100% invading California. Ever but what are, the what are they doing? What are they doing? Invading They're just jumping around like those weird little fluffy things you used to buy in SeaWorld Bray that go through your fingers. They're wrecking all the soil. Okay. And they're, they seem to be immune to absorbing any water. So they're not even like giving anything back. And they're about a foot long. And all they right. can jump into the air by way of wriggling furiously. But long. is it not just like there's loads of, of spontaneous streamers around California. What do you mean? You know those streamers that you let off that are just like big lines of confetti. 
Well, it's all well and good until you're an animal there trying to just happily eat one of them. Right. And what it's happens? whacking you in the face <laughs> and providing no nutritional value, unlike this drink. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's bad news for anyone. This docile drink. And there's great footage of birds trying to eat them, of them jumping around the place. But, you know, the ecologists are worried and it's a problem. Have you got any pickies? I've got many pictures. Uh, of writhing worms. I'll, th- as this is a podcast, I won't show them to you. Damn, everyone has to go do their own picture research. You simply must. Damn it. This week, on the main episode, is that what we're in? It's Tuesday, so it should be. Right, I'll tell you what I have. A story of mouse-topia. Okay. Yeah, you heard me. It's the Universe 25 experiment. And it's huh. amazing. Do you remember back in the, back a while ago, I was like talking about population. Elon Musk keeps going on and on about the population decline. And then oh, we yeah. were talking a bit about it and I was looking into it more. And then I came across this experiment and I'll tell you all about it. Okay, interesting. Can't wait. I am revisiting a story that we recorded before that was a hit, but we never, we didn't record it. We did it at a live. It's the women who fall in love with the ghosts. Oh, back oh my in. God, did that never make it out into that public consumption? That never made it out into public no, consumption. No, I that though. story. Yeah. Uh, the, the marathon one I retold you apparently did make it out into the public <laughs> So, uh, we're, I'm oh, just no, I will yeah. say when I edited that, Sophie did at did the time say, say this has made it out. And, oh, this, and you were like, no, 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 this is one of the lost records, one of the lost <laughs> recordings. This is from the annals of the creep time. Nobody anus. has heard this. Nobody's ever heard this. It's I quite, whispered it into an orifice. It's actually quite possible that you were telling that story out of live, having previously told it on a main episode <laughs> and then decided that it hadn't made it out and gave it to people again. We've heard it four times. I, I just wrote it. It's one of the only essays I ever wrote. It's still so good on every retelling. Exactly. We should make it a yearly I'll do it every edition. year. Yeah. But I want people who listened to both versions to get in touch and tell us like how did they hold up did you still enjoy the second version knowing the, all the spoilers of the man in, I don't want that in dress shoes yeah it was a wonderful story Felix there was a Felix there in, you could tell was. it again I literally would take it again okay so the okay. year was <laughs> no, I won't but uh, I turned up in a full dress suit I tell you what else I got balls deep in ever heard of a concept called the uncanny uncanny valley yeah fascinating yeah and I then i went know. back into an old story that i'm sure that you told about she's gonna tell it then you're shay st john mm. you remember that youtube channel mm. eric fournier mm-hmm. ringing no bells possible <laughs> anyway there's millions sometimes of stuff sometimes i get to on. the very end of a story and i'm like ah yes yes i heard this on the creep bell, <laughs> so, so what do you have for us um, okay, so I have a micro creep of the week. Mm. Then I have a fucking enormous tail. Yes, yeah. I, it might be an entire hive or something. What is it? It's fucking huge. It's basically, uh, oh god, like why do I do this? I researched it for twelve pages and didn't come up with a fucking decent title for it. I'm gonna call it the man who fell to earth. Oh, yeah. Great title. Thank you. Well, I mean, I think Bowie came up with the yeah, first. Yeah, but look, butcher. great for this. I'm very excited. Bowie. It's I be, mean, some of you may have heard of him. Because I know it's going to be literal. And then I also have like a kind of an addendum to that story, which is uh, actually harking back to Creep Dive legend Larry. 
Amazing. I've got some kind of Larry 2.0s. Lawn Chair Larry, Larry is who you're referring to. Lawn Chair Larry, sorry, who uh, was a pioneer of the cluster ballooning. Um, so and a plastic lawn chair. A lawn chair. And he basically, you know, got 30 helium balloons and went for a spin uh, on them. And With so basically... load of Coca-Cola was involved, if I remember correctly. As I recall, he had two liters of Coca-Cola strapped to each leg or something. Sustenance. Um, so, yeah, I've basically got like three kind of balloon lads... That's sort of, I think, our lawn chair Larry adjacent. So basically, I've got something sort of small there. And then I have this epic tale that takes us from 1873 to 2012. Absolutely wonderful. And it's going to take me that long to tell it. Do you want to tell it right now? Oh, God. I can. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Sorry. Is that okay? Is that okay? The macro. You know what? Yeah, we had great feedback for the long stories per yeah. episode. Really? Yeah. I think you're just saying that to make me feel no, better. No, I meant to screenshot. I'm them an and only send them child. On. I cannot stop talking. People must just close my mouth for me. No. Okay. Let me take you back. I'm going to do a Jan opener. The year is 2003. I remember it well. I know. I actually remember this occurring. I think you will too. That was your 40th. <laughs> Close. Oh, I forgot to do the creep of the week. Oh, pray tell. Ah, well, I mean, it's Kim Kardashian saying she would eat poo if it made her look younger. Ah, uh, yes. And Literally I heard her saying so, she would eat shit if it made her I'm look younger. I'm not saying she's the creep of the week. I'm holding the honor. It's me. I listened to that. I was on the radio. I was driving. I drive like this, <laughs> like the way they do in cartoons. And they said, uh, you know, blah blah blah. Kim Kardashian's just said she would eat feces if she was told it would make her look younger. And in my head, I said. I'd eat feces for way less than if that. If it was dried into a dust, I'd I, stuff it up myself. Literally, yeah. if somebody was like 50 euro, I'd have a... It does, is it a wet... Just a little... It, it, it needs not to be wet. I don't think you, the consumer, are allowed to cherry pick the poo. What about who's... I think whoever's giving you the 50 quid is Just allowed to pick the, the poo. shit consistency. I'd say if, if it was like dehydrated, powered, put into a powder and yeah. they told you... In a smoothie. Oh, yeah. Of course you would. But this is fascinating, the poo. But like, I, like I said, I would do it for way less. What do you know if someone just said means? it would be funny, I'd do it. But this is a legitimate medical, uh, there's, there's kind of a re, you remember Dan had his terrible, suffering terribly with the IBS. And the doctor, well, IBS, this umbrella term. Didn't at it, one point, whatever, you guys have to store shit in your fridge. Yeah, not in the fridge, but we had, to, we had, to, that was when the HSE got involved. involved. And said, and you're telling me that was shit. IBS. Well, no, no, no. It started with Giardia, the parasite. So anyway, moving on from the Giardia, everyone was very sick. Then we got better, but Dan didn't get better. So the doctor was like, so come in for the colonoscopy. No problem at all. But while he was in there, he was like, you know, there is a thing called fecal transplants. And that's exactly what what we're talking about here. You swallow a small capsule of someone else's shit and the, that repopulates your kind of good, good bacteria in your stomach. Ah. Kind of resetting it. But you'd need high quality shites. You'd need an individual who was really looking after themselves. And that's where mood comes uh, in. Yes. <laughs> where mood protect <laughs> enters the conversation. So as much as it's a joke, it's also an, an actual thing. I wonder, so, if you can buy shit capsules. You definitely can. Uh, or can you donate your shit? Yeah. I'm profit. sure you can. Sure, you can sell your own breast milk. I know it's super so different, just, but We've it's been out here selling our shit for years. <laughs> 
You're so right. Yeah. Pill derived from human feces treats recurrent gut infections. Do you know what I'm saying? It's legit. Nothing is stranger than fiction. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> Truth is wow. stranger than fiction. Exactly. I really want to know really who is supplying the shit. I want to clean eaters. Good eaters. Uh, people with excellent shites. People with, uh, what does Dan call them? Canoes. That was, that's his ultimate um, goal. He's like, a, a, be a canoe. Get, have a, can, like, a, like, that's the shape. Coming out like a canoe. Clean oh, break. That's his ideal. Yeah. Shit beauty standards. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. I like the ghost. We talked about this yesterday on Mother Pod. You know, with the one where you're like, this one's major. And then you look down and stop. <laughs> and there's no trace. No trace. Even wiped clean. It it's very, very big. It's <laughs> straight down. Ghost. Very unsatisfying. That's why the French have, uh, they have manufactured uh, ghost proof toilets. They, no, of course. they I thought they use were the, Germans. the viewing shelf. Yes. The viewing and shelf. Uh, that's a that's this has spiraled. The flight deck. <laughs> Let's get into a story. Okay. No, no, no. This is a story. This is exactly why they say things like we've lost our way. <laughs> okay, let's return. Venture 2003. Far. It's February. Okay. Where are we in the world? We are in Texas. Oh, be very cold in February, Soph. You know where is in Texas? Or what Houston. Oh. Texas. Oh yeah, like okay. Whitney. So we're sitting uh, on the bleachers of uh, the bleachers that are lining a three mile long landing strip. So you just think about three miles I can't. of a landing strip. Do you have strip. that in kilometers? <laughs> kilometers? Who the fuck are you? Uh, a person who lives in, in this country that uses kilometers. I know, but like we had miles Didn't when you before were younger. we had kilometers. I've completely yeah. erased the that. First okay, the first 50 years of your life were all miles. Uh, I'm trying Google to think of like Dublin to uh, Dunleary coastline. Like city centre to Dunleary, maybe 5k? Yeah. Yep. Okay, look, fucking eight, so long. Eight kilometers. Eight kilometers. <laughs> okay, okay. Anyway, fucking really long. It would take you 45 minutes to walk it, okay? At a clip. Is that, so, not, is that, that's not standard for a landing strip. What about a double-decker? Airbus. Right, I'll stop now. An Airbus. Well, I don't, no, I don't, I don't think so. Right. The interruptions are out of hand. Okay. Are, aren't they? <laughs> no, yeah. no, We're never not. getting they're through fine. this. They, they're what I thrive on. That's what this is. Okay, so anyway, they have all these um, big viewing, uh, seating uh, bleacher things. And loads and loads of people are sitting watching the sky. So, do you know those lads? I won- I drove to the airport the other day and I saw them all in a bush. Which ones? The oh, lads the... watching the sky. Do you know, this is a, parent- a parenting top tip that actually belongs on all other podcasts, but yeah. I'll say it here. It's bringing your kids to the airport to watch the planes. We're just leaving them there. Yeah. You just go, you park on that fencing That's on where the perimeter. That's where I was. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Open the car door, usher the children out. Towards the plane perverts. Exactly. And then you close the doors, <laughs> central locking, snooze. It is pretty, uh, like, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Ah, right they're into head. it. Yeah. Absolutely into it. Yeah, okay. my dad used to take us all the time. Yeah, plane like spotters. Played. You've been played, my friend. <laughs> okay, so everyone is sitting in this huge, basically stadium beside a airstrip, looking at the sky. There is a big, huge clock. Counting down above them. Okay? And over these huge loudspeakers, they can hear mission control talking to the astronauts that are on their way back from space and are due to arrive 
in T-minus 15 minutes. Oh, very exciting. So all the chat they're hearing is very uh, just info exchanges, just checking on speeds, altitudes. Then... They're coming in on a balloon, are they so... Like, you know what they... They're coming in on a shuttle. Oh. Um, So... The balloon happens much lower. I see. So they're blasting through the air. They're blasting through the air towards Earth. They're coming in through um, the atmosphere. And that is when mission control starts to pick up funny readings. There's some kind of problem. There's some kind of problem with the landing gear. (gasps) Fuck! And its tires. Which seems like a weirdly kind of understandable problem as in like I can almost relate I'm like yeah that does sound like a problem yeah I as a lay person I'm saying god tires yeah so um, the the guys at Houston are trying to talk to the lads on the shuttle and they're going Columbia Houston we see your tire pressure messages and we did not copy your last and then from the shuttle we hear Roger but and it cuts off <gasps> these are the last words from the ship people in mission control Kept trying to make contact for several minutes while all of the spectators and all of the family and friends of the seven astronauts on board the shuttle somewhere up in the sky above them sit listening to them desperately trying to make contact. Are they about to just watch everyone die? So the clock is still counting down. It counts down until it finally reads zero. And then having reached zero, it reverses and starts to count up. <gasps> Basically, it begins to time how long the shuttle has now been out of contact and has gone off course. So they're all standing in the crowd. People are just shocked into silence. No one has any words. Then suddenly all of these mobile phones start ringing at once. <gasps> then... It turns out that they're all the mobile phones of all of the NASA escorts who have been looking after all the family and friends. So imagine standing in that crowd and suddenly like 20 people are all answering their phone at once. And so then the escorts hustle everyone out of the bleachers. There has been nothing from the sky. Nobody can see anything, hear anything. Nobody has any idea what's going on. They bring them all into like a holding room. And that is where... And they are left for about 15 minutes with no idea what's taking place. One of the crowd is a guy called Jonathan Clark. He's a doctor, okay? And his wife was up in the Columbia shuttle. So she is missing right now. Her name's Laurel Clark. So there was a crew of seven. She was like the mission specialist. He himself works at NASA and was like a mission surgeon. So he's a doctor. Um, but he was not involved in this mission at all. Um, but he had done seven missions. So he like is fully, he has the inside track. Like I think all NASA families know all of the protocols and stuff like that. Because I do think they are given a lot of support to be like talked through what mm-hmm. happens in the event of this, that and the other. Okay. But he's on the inside and he fucking knows. And uh, Is it bad news? Well, eventually... The director of flight crew operations, who's actually a friend of Jonathan's, comes into the room and faces all of the children, wives and husbands and says, we don't have confirmation, but from what we gather, the vehicle broke up at an altitude that was not survivable. Oh, dear. Seven astronauts. 
seven astronauts, two women, five men, um, all dead. So basically, Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Clark was just, I mean, obviously it was the worst moment of his life. Yeah. And he knew that it was impossible in 2003. That they could have survived. Yeah, for his wife or anyone else to survive a fall from space. And he, obviously, you know, him and his son, they were immediately all put onto different private jets and brought back to their homes. And they all had NASA escorts. Like he talked about how later his escort brought him to his house. And like, it's really bizarre, separated from him from his son and basically got him drunk and just kept him drunk for about a day and a half to try and usher him through the shock, Mm -hmm. which is really like, it's more like 1960s behavior. It's 2003. I can't believe they did that. But anyway. I mean, um, it's an approach. It's an approach. How do they deal with the shock in children? Just bad, isn't it? Like like you said there, just put the kid to bed and focused Just in on the hope it's dad. body lets it sort itself out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> children they've got great bounce back they're very adaptable yeah he doesn't know he doesn't he barely remembers her yeah. oh, jesus so anyway um people started obviously being like what happened okay so they had a huge investigation right and they determined that in takeoff from images of the shuttle they saw this large piece of foam. Now, so I tried and tried to get a better understanding of exactly what this piece of foam is, but basically this piece of foam fell from an external tank, the shuttle's external tank, Mm -hmm. and seems to have knocked off the left wing of the spacecraft. Now, do you know the way when you look at it on films and stuff, they have those supports that go ping away from the shuttle right when it's about to blast off. And it always looks like there's debris falling. You think it might be something to do with that? I'm not. I've tried and tried to get like a real proper read on what that is. Either way, they lost a wing. Aerophysicists get in touch. No, either way, the wing got dinged, okay? And that would have fucked the trajectory completely. Well, nothing was fucked immediately at all. They took off. They went into space. and um, the crew on the ground at Mission Control had seen this take place during the launch and they were all divided about what it might mean was it going to be a problem now bearing in mind this shuttle that they were flying on big reduced reuse policy in NASA this shuttle had already done 27 missions (gasps) what? yeah it had actually been in service since 1981. It's like Which, one of those old darts or buses. You know, you get on, you're like this thing. Well, like, even if you have a car younger than, like all the NCT, do you remember, like, they've just took cars off the road at this point that have been going since the early 90s. I don't know. They, I, it feels like maybe... Were some finger pointing around? Well, so there was a lot of debate. As the investigation was unfolding on the ground, the crew were up in space for 16 days. And um, the people on the ground were like pushing to get pictures of the breached wing I see. while it was up in orbit. They yeah. wanted a closer look at what had happened. And um, apparently the Department of Defense in America were prepared to use their, and I, I think it was awful because they probably had to admit that they have orbital spy cameras. They were like, we've got spy cameras. I mean, 
cameras. <laughs> ring doorbells up in space. Yeah, exactly. yes. But NASA probably fucking, um, what do you call it, slingshotting up a disposable camera yeah. up to them from yeah. the 80s. So the Department of Defense were happy to take the pictures, but NASA officials declined the offer. Why? And basically just insisted that... Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I think there's like a, a kind of an in, implication that maybe they like this foam thing around, had yeah. already been a problem that was on record and that they had been putting on the long finger for researching yeah. and investigating. So apparently the foam thing had been already brought up in times before people being like this foam falling off issue yeah. <laughs> seems it's, like a problem. Someone kicking it being like this is loose. Like what is, shut yeah. up you. And Off like, to space we go. They told the crew on board, right? And they were there for over two weeks up in space. They told them that like a bit of foam had fallen off, but nothing to worry about. Okay. And they had not communicated any of the kind of divided opinion on the ground. Okay. Like they kept them in the dark about it. There's not much they could do about it at that point though. Well, I suppose there's arguments that with knowledge, there's always potential for something to do. But you know, like... I guess they could suit up I mean, and they go out and... Like our, I don't know. Before some kind of repair. Exactly. Or, I don't know, like, I don't know. Like a rescue mission. Who knows? Who knows? Like the space station is up there. Like I'm not the person there. Sorry, is there To a be sp- like, why didn't they go turn right up? You know so what I mean? So is there a space station currently there with a number of people on board? I don't know. Yeah, I think Do you think in down. a... They're up they're and down. down, so... Is there a space... Yeah, there must be. I'm really sure there is because I'll tell you this much... The NASA grounded all missions for two years after this occurred and they were relying then on kind of sort of international relations with Russia to keep the space station stocked and stuff. So there must have been. Anyway, the crew were up there completely oblivious to what was happening. They're literally their last days of their lives were counting down and they were up there doing science experiments. Um, (laughs) they, They were... Well, believe it. I picture yeah. them up there making those little um, volcanoes with them. with the bicarbonate soda. soda and red food coloring. <laughs> yes, yes. They're it mad was... for like bringing animals up and seeing how long they live. I mean, and, uh, they brought worms. Yeah, roundworms. Fabulous. Ingested or outside of the body? The roundworms survived. Survived. Of course, they did. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. See um, exoskeletons. Losers. Do you know what as well? Some of the descendants of the roundworms that survived the 2003 disaster flew into space in May 2011 aboard another space shuttle called the Endeavour. Just for a treat? Just some of the grandkids <laughs> of the worms back up there. So I'm, I'm still expecting you to tell me there was a secret survivors. Okay, the worms. <laughs> Other than the worms? Um, no, oh. but... The knock-on effect of this disaster is interesting. Okay, so they started after it was all confirmed. Everyone was dead. Um, They had a sort of a time window where they were sort of trying to establish right at what point they had died. Yeah, right what their last moments might have been like it was it's pretty grim stuff but basically they were conscious enough to know they were headed for disaster there was a period of time i imagine that they were like this is going to end badly yeah like there was a short period of time so basically 
um, on re-entry, a breach, the small breach that had been made in the left wing allowed atmospheric gases to bleed into the shuttle mm. as it went through, you know, we always see it where it, like it's flying in and it's like fiery hot re-entry. And so they lost their sensors uh, at that point and like it just like was a knock on like that tiny breach just kind of spiraled really rapidly and the um even imagine this right uh undeveloped film survived the crash weird and they developed it and found pictures that the crew had taken of themselves inside while they were orbiting it's really fucking sad isn't it what would they add up there Ah, oh, they were doing their science around. experiments. Yeah. That you laughed at. These dead people doing Sorry. experiments that you both laughed at. It was just at. the delivery. Quite glib. No. <laughs> the delivery. It's, it's my your fault. fault. Is it my yeah. fault? Yeah. They, um, they searched for the debris of the space shuttle for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it was um, all spread over a zone of like 2,000 square miles or for Jennifer, 5,000 square kilometers. Wow. And they found bits like of everyone 5, all over the place. 5,000 square kilometers. Is that, that's big. Huge. Yes. Huge. That's probably. Is it Ireland? Cavan. Cavan. So they actually ended up recovering 84,000 pieces of the shuttle. I bet you a few teeth. Uh... So that, that 84,000 pieces was 40% of the entire shuttle. Isn't that fucking wild? Yeah. Like yeah. they had huge airport hangars where all of the pieces were laid out Trying and catalogued and massive. And they recovered uh, crew remains which were identified with DNA. And which is even incredible that they actually found that. Mm. Like it kind of reminded me of the 9-11 cleanup that we yeah. did. Uh, I think it was a Patreon episode that we did that on. Amazing episode. <laughs> Join the patron, patron.com forward slash creep drive. Anyway, they, you know, in the final report said that the crew's last minutes were likely horrific. And mm. um, so the, the astronauts, they believe, probably survived the initial breakup of the shuttle, but lost consciousness after the cabin lost pressure. Mm. Which is for the best because as the shuttle disintegrated around them, their suits would have like literally the high winds and fire would have just like healed. They would have just disintegrated off them Mm -hmm. like instantly. So it's a very fucking dark time for Dr. Jonathan Clark and his son, Ian, who was eventually brought back to him, allowed to grieve with his father. Um, He sobered up and seven years later, he had been basically ensconced, is, I don't know, ensconced the word. He had just been so deep up in the investigation of the disaster. And he was completely consumed with the idea that this should all be for something. Mm. His wife's death, all their colleagues. Uh, there was obviously reforms within NASA yeah. about mm-hmm. launch protocol and things like and that. And the two-year delay. Uh, and they, yeah, they grounded for two years while they investigated. They did start to make changes, uh, Obviously got a new shuttle. Treat yeah, yourself. They'd have to. Treat well, yourself, exactly. NASA. And um, in that time, Josh Jonathan Clark was obsessed with the idea that there should be a kind of, you know, emergency ejection or there should be some way that the astronauts would have a fighting chance at surviving something like this. Interesting. Yes. That ejection yes. idea. 
Yeah. So he is, here he is in 2010, seven years after the crash. He left NASA um, in 2005 after being part of the investigation, but he still continued all the investigation and all of the kind of uh, thinking around his project after he left NASA. He just had amassed this enormous amount of data about everything to do with the crash and everything to do with the possibilities of survival of something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he even had, like, in his data, he even has his wife's autopsy report, complete with colour photographs of her body, Mm. her face, and the only recognisable thing that survived the fall, a small earring. So I would think the photographs of her actual remains are not... Great. What, what we're thinking of. No. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I think pulverized probably. Yeah. Anyway, the words that kept coming back to him was that the, the craft had broken up at an unsurvivable altitude. Right. And that it was impossible in 2003 for his wife or anyone else to f- survive a fall from space. But someone had survived a fall from space. Who? It had been done before. It had actually been done 43 years earlier, in 1960. By some sort of evil Knievel-style daredevil. It was Elon Musk. (laughs) Um, So it was Captain Joe Kittinger, Mm. and he rode a basically hot air balloon. I want to call it that, because that's more fun to think of. But it it was a balloon called the Excelsior 3. And he rode this balloon up into space, and parachute jumped back down to earth. Awesome. Yeah. And he went in higher, 1960. The same height as, as where this, this had. Uh, yeah. Above it. Above it. Like the uh, Columbia just started to disintegrate as it re entered Earth's atmosphere. The stratosphere is just above that hang on how there, did so there's basically the troposphere hang on i'll get it up again i have been <laughs> deep in this shit for a while now i've learned a lot of things this is interesting um <laughs> why would not no, like this, this level we're making a but like going through the like atmosphere the levels yeah. this is science with sophie science why would nasa have said so basically the stratosphere is like okay so hang on wait i'll tell you so there's the troposphere is you know, we've got sea level, then we've got the troposphere, which is like above sea level. Kind where of between, we live. Between, where we live and between us and kind of the top of Mount Everest, okay. say. Right. And then you've got like, that's kind of cloud level up there. And then up just above that, we have the kind of um, commercial jets. 30,000 feet. Where our planes fly, exactly. 30,000 feet slash like about 10 miles up. Okay. 10 kilometers up. Uh then we have the next level is a type of stratospheric cloud that's called Ooh. the polar cloud. And then above that, we have the ozone layer. Yeah. And there are some spy planes that can fly to that altitude. But oh. they're the last kind of manned craft that can actually fly, basically. Then we have entering the stratosphere, which is like... I'd say the ear popping would be terrendous. It's 30 kilometers up. I would say you've got bigger problems than the ear popping. I would say. You've got vein popping issues. Um, so 30 kilometers up to 50 kilometers high from sea level is the stratosphere. And it's like to look at it. So I've looked now at loads of the kind of videos. It's basically 
you can see the earth you're above the earth it's near space can you see the curvature right. of the earth yeah That's yeah amazing i mean it's literally like whenever you think of like you know the universal pictures yeah a graphic at the beginning yeah where you're like you're running over the globe yeah. and you can see the light behind it and the, the space that's, that's where you are like it's you're above the earth and you're, you're telling me at the earth. that that captain guy reached what level in his air balloon okay hang on let me get back to my duck you meant okay and why if so he reached a hundred thousand and two feet or 30 kilometers or dublin city center to bray okay is it or Greystones? Which am I thinking of? Anyway, fucking. High. I kept trying to like think of a good way of imagining this height, and I really fucking couldn't. Except being like, it's about four Everests. Why would NASA? Would they, did they not know about this guy? <laughs> like, why were they saying this is an unsurvivable fall? I know. I guess because they hadn't. It was almost like what needed to happen was two strands of scientists. Science needed to be joined. I see. Like so, their astronauts inside the uh, shuttle, like were sitting in spacesuits, but like one person didn't have their helmet on, one yeah. person had no gloves. Like they don't have any. There is never in their minds a sense that we might eject from this and fall gotcha. from a hundred thousand feet. Never part of the plan. Right. It's never part of the plan. But I guess what Dr. Jonathan Clark was saying was this should be a part of the plan, and. Here Plan is B. Do, doc, uh, Joe Kittinger, who basically um, used a hot air balloon and skydived from space. He space dived. Amazing. And so that is how Dr. Jonathan Clark is about to become a part of a groundbreaking mission. <gasps> a mission only made possible by a French scientist back in 1783. Sacre bleu! So I'm going to do a whistle stop tour. Of hot air balloons. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So, ever been on one, lads? Yes. What's it like? No. Class. Is it's it absolutely class. Does it feel dangerous or is it relaxing? I'd say it's relaxing. It is. Yeah. It's a bit like you're looking at it and you're like, really, guys? Because so Are you, you start it, off really. I started off really early in the morning, and it was in Spain, and so the huge basket. Is it woven? Yeah, I mean, it was a big basket. It, was, it seems strange to try to remember. Get why. into a picnic basket. You get room in for by a little people. gate. Into there was the about nine of us in it. Right, that's a yeah. big basket. So you get in by a little gate, and then I think the thing is that it inflated. Like it just looks so like Magic. a bad idea. It's got this huge fireball. Yes, and it just seems very close yes. to the actual fucking. Material. It but how long mad. does it take to go up? And you just kind of go up and go back down. And were you tight? You were still tied to a rope. Up in it for ages. I have no recollection of being in a harness or anything. You probably were. I must not in a harness. Well, it was quite high. The basket. Like the oh yeah, it was came up to about chest height. So you'd want to be really locked to have a mishap, <laughs> as the French often were. We're very very tall. Very very tall. It was very gorgeous. It was amazing. It was we're, very serene because you don't do flight without noise, roaring engines and stuff. So or yeah. being inside something. Yeah, I mean, obviously there was the slightly yeah. of the um, mechanism, but like slight. It was very quiet. Were hot air balloons? They came before the zeppelins, right? Which were, I think, uh, they were a riff on the technology. Exactly. But they were sort of used to move people around. Were hot air balloons ever used in a kind of a transport system? Or were they always kind of a joyride? I think you can't really 
predict where they go on a transport <laughs> system. Like you you can. As we have found out time and again with this yeah. research. Oh, but you can. Because around the edge of the basket, there's the sandbags. Yeah, ballasts. And then you... They're a bit more up and down, though. Oh, they're up and down. Not to right you to left. You are right. yeah. very yeah, yeah. much... Like, so one of the first kind of hot air balloon guys was a weather enthusiast. <laughs> Unsurprising. And he... Um, yeah, was very interested in the weather for, with a view to steering. A steering uh-huh. issue. Yeah. But anyway, okay, so the very first scientist who ever launched a hot air balloon uh, was Pilatre de Rosière. Pilatre Ah, uh, Thank you. And it's the late 1800s and the passengers of his hot air balloon were a sheep, a duck and a rooster. Weird. Cute. I love when they're like, do you know what we need is novelty. We need a bit of novelty here. That is so fucking what annoying. What do you think they talked about up there? It's just an annoying collection of irritating animals to bring <laughs> aboard. It's just like, just be there yourself. It's, sorry, it's a nursery rhyme waiting to happen. It is. <laughs> With a terrifying end. Well, that's it. He obviously had an eye to branding. And he was like, yeah. I'm going to do the children's story after this. So they flew through the air for 15 minutes before crashing back down to Earth. Crash. That would have been tethered. Like, okay. you know the way some of the balloons are tethered? Yeah. yeah. Okay, then the first manned attempt came about two months later. Oh, he wasn't on it with the animals. No, he, he just said he just I thought he was them there with just, just weirdly the lads. keep them separate. <laughs> just rowing all the way there. So anyway, then the next manned attempt was also in France. It was two years, uh, two months later. So it's like very French. We were in a travel. very kind of like races on. Do you remember the space race? Yeah. Uh, there, this was like the hot air balloon race, and it was a much smaller thing. All inside France. Very yes. niche. So um, that first manned one was two French brothers, and it was launched from the center of Paris and flew for twenty minutes. And they were fine. They got out. They were grand. They landed and everything. Wobbly legs, I'd say. (laughs) And then um, two years later. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Was the first crossing of the English Channel. There you go. Now, they didn't bring passengers. It was just two lads, a Frenchman and an American who got across the English Channel. Which was really good. Tethered to a boat, so or no? No. Fascinating. What? No, I don't think that would have been allowed. 
<laughs> truly dragging a <laughs> yeah. helium balloon like across the <laughs> So anyway, that same year, okay, our old friend Pilatre de Rosière um, had also wanted to attempt the channel. Sadly, was killed. When? Because it's not safe. Right. The thing is, I kept being kind of like, oh, it's a bit of a lark. Yeah. But then you're ki- mixing fire and gas. You are. And you you're really are. very high up. Yeah. Um, so basically, he was trying to do the channel and he his balloon exploded half an hour after takeoff <laughs> due to the experimental design. I know this is desperate, but did it go straight down or did or it did go... go <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I think being France in the late 1800s, it had to be... <laughs> But or, in perfect silence And then there's a mime on the ground <laughs> I think realistically It went up in a fireball Yeah I Probably. would say so yeah. Hydrogen gas Exactly So right, what he okay. was doing Was using I mean, a hydrogen really <laughs> Balloon And a hot air balloon together he, That was his option Yeah And it actually ended up being A pioneering design That's named after him And is used But uh, he didn't survive that first go uh, anyway, then um, finally the Americans got in on it. I mean, literally nothing more to say about that except they did it. Yep. George Washington was present. Imagine though, think about it, George Washington. That's mad. That old guy watching somebody flying in a hot Do you know airplane. George Washington's teeth were made from slaves? Shut up. Absolute fact. Like, wait, slaves' teeth or just... Slaves' teeth, okay. yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And, and then there were tiny little slaves in his mouth. Fucking no. hell. Yeah, he pulled, he pulled teeth out of living humans and created this rudimentary wooden denture system with two springs not such a good guy after all were they oh my god not ideal okay you can tell from the photographs of him sometimes he had that them in fucking evil sometimes he had them out okay we're gonna take you on a big leap forward yes 100 years and a leap upward so now people were obsessed with getting up high in the balloons Right? High as high as possible. High as possible. Now listen to this. This is amazing, right? The first balloon to reach the stratosphere, manned with a person in it, happened in 1932. Th- say that again. The first balloon to reach the stratosphere, which is how many thousand feet above? This is six, the sixty thousand feet. So the stratosphere kind of spans fifty thousand to I think one ten. Okay. So he, I mean, he was cuspy. Was he? He made it to fifty two thousand. Wearing feet. oxygen in a sort of in sort of a, a spaceship. He's in suit. a suit, and he, he is wearing from pictures. Uh, it looks like a padded basket on his head as a, helmet. as a helmet. He must have um, had oxygen. He was breathing uh, oxygen he brought. Yeah, his name was Auguste Picard. Nice. And he was Swiss. Oh, like Sp- Star Trek. Well, that's who Gene Roddenberry... Roddenberry? Was named after! Yeah, he named Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, after Auguste Picard and his twin brother, who was also into ballooning. Also, the whole Picard family are like... Balloon obsessed. Balloon obsessed. Never not holding one. Never not. <laughs> Just constantly. Like always Spreading with joy. the leg cock. Yeah. Having <laughs> um, so joy. There is something joyous about balloons. Of course there is. They're Children fun. are Absolutely joyous. Then right, three years later, um, they managed to get one up as high as 72,000 feet, which is thir- nearly 14 miles. I keep if I'm gonna have to keep what, doing. What year? What year are we talking here again? 1935. Wow. So this is like the beginning of space travel. Really, think about, isn't it? think about how shit 
TV. There was no TV. Was there? Phenomenally. Was there? No, they had newsreels and stuff like that. But like, think about how shit all that was coming along. And meanwhile, there was a lad in a balloon in space. But it's all still wearing a woven basket helmet. Like te- 72 kilometers. St- technology wise, still pretty rudimentary. I mean, they're no, no, still just. No, no. 13 miles. 13 miles. What's 13 miles in kilometers? 40,000 feet. Uh, so oh, it's but it's still, it's very high but there's no major technology at play here this is how high can we go in yes this. yes yes it was also the first time in history that they kind of proved that humans could survive in a pressurized chamber oh which they, has basically uh, paved the way for every kind of space travel we can think of so they were in a pressurized container going up in the balloon yeah Not, some of oh them. they've done away with the basket yeah, they've got a little pressure. It looks like a little submarine. They knew that people were... It was like the bends. They well, they been, knew because they the oxygen is thinning to a dangerous level. Exactly. Like many, many thousands of feet below that. Yeah. Um, many people die in this... I'm sure they did. Yes. Trying this out. They absolutely did. But that uh, that record was set in 1935 and didn't change. Nobody beat it. So that was 72,000 feet. They reckon that's the limit. They were like, that's good. That's okay. GTG. That's yeah. like about halfway the, how, to so the top of the stratosphere. How high did the kebab get? Do you remember? Jesus, I can't remember. Somebody sent us in a fabulous YouTube. Must send it on to you. I think it was some, damn it, it's off the top of my Shall head. Should we watch the kebab? No, but Do there was an remember even the garnish stayed on? Yeah. Anyway, this, is hard, this might be harking back to a Patreon episode again. Patreon. Get on board. We're up. learning every day. Okay, so that record wasn't broken until 1960 when the aforementioned Captain Joe Kittinger went up in his hot air balloon to 100,000 feet and fucking jumped out. So he mustn't have been in a pressurized container. He was in a huge pressurized suit. And this oh. is where the technology was evolving to. So... He weighed himself 150 pounds, which is like no need. One of my babies was five pounds, so it's many of fourteen kilometers of my baby. Twenty-five thousand. Yeah. Feet. Okay, so he weighs 150 pounds. I don't Size know, let's of say Dublin. whatever. It might be ten stone or something. And his weight of the suit was 152 oh, pounds. Oh wow! So, so he was carrying his own body weight there was in no the jumping. pressurized he just suit. Rolled out. <laughs> no, important to jump right. Oh. Okay, so. They were also testing different uh, types of parachute. So when you jump from a very high altitude, you risk going into a huge flat spin. Now, where the parachute doesn't open. No, it's just in your free fall. Okay. Controlling your body. Okay. I mean, is important. Yes. Because going like if you exceed a certain amount of rotations per minute you actually would just die okay like it's super like neutrobullet not quite super yes yes Mm -hmm. so they were testing this little parachute that was like not the main parachute it was almost like a steering parachute slow down the spin yeah to help stabilize the spin and they succeeded he did lose consciousness somewhere on the flight down it was 1960 they were still working shit out yeah, everything was um, fine and safe and he f- did land. You'd be raging if you slept through you it though. Would. Yeah. You would. Bit annoying. Yeah. Bit annoying. Now, in the next year, a passionate hobbyist, our favourite type, tried to better Joe Killinger's record. Fool. 
foolish. Sadly. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. But I'm going to go into him further on my later story because his name is Nick Piantanida. Nice. And he's a truck driver and he deserves more time. So we're going to okay. chat about him in a, on the next episode or whatever. So then, right, in 1984, Joe Kittinger... The year of my birth and yours. There you, no, oh, 85. 85. <laughs> anyway, so 1984, so 24 years after his original record, Joe Kittinger also became the first person to fly solo across the Atlantic. Isn't that cool? He's a real high achiever. In a hot air balloon. Amazing. On his own. So like... um, The lengths people will go for a bit of me time. They were obsessed with crossing oceans in hot air balloons. Like um, it wasn't until 1999 that somebody finally flew nonstop around the world. It was 19 days of a trip. That all. Isn't that amazing? That seems days. quick, doesn't it? That's nothing. And do you know who he was? You have to queue in the airport now for 19 days. Yeah, Therese O'Neill from uh, Mullingar. No? <laughs> Who's that? Who was it? It was Bertrand Picard. Here we go again. Ah, Grandson Picard. of August. So that is a fact. So it all happened And he family. flew with a man called Brian Jones, who was that no one remembers. the founding member of the Rolling Stones. Um, yeah, so they literally smashed all previous distant records. They went from Switzerland to Africa, 19 days. Boom. So now we're back up to the year 2010. Okay. Okay. Post crash. And this is where several of these disparate strands come together. Oh, this is a great one. Seven years post. Great story, Soaps. I'm loving this. Oh, God. Well, I to take a nosedive. Oh. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Who's dying? So it's 2010. Okay. Seven years after the crash, yeah. Dr. Jonathan Clark still very much grieving the loss of his wife. Yeah. Um, and he has a child. He has a son. He has a son, Ian. Spelt unusually. I-A-I-N. I wouldn't know. I haven't seen that myself. Each to one's own. Each to one's own. Anyway, so Dr. Clark, still steeped in his research, finds himself involved in a mission like no other and re-enter Joe Kittinger. Oh. Our 1961st skydiver from space. So he's who's he, considerably older now. He must be what? What age was he when 80s. he went into space? Um, I think he was in his twenties. So he's in his late seventies or so now. Yeah, in 2010. Yeah. But yeah. he's has valuable information. Of course, valuable information. Okay, so they're involved in a mission like no other. The plan is to fly a balloon up. 120,000 feet, which is basically right up tip of the top of the stratosphere. And a skydiver called Felix Baumgartner is going to step out and drop 23 miles. Wow. He's going to get out of his craft and plummet 23 miles. In 35 seconds, they hope that he will become the first human to free fall through the sound barrier. Wow. And what happens after that, nobody knows because no human has ever survived, traveled that fast. It's not okay, even so like it's they've died. Fast. It's, it's fucking fa- so faster than the speed of sound. That is fast. That's fast. Very fast. Very fast. Let's admit, let's all take the it's time. It's faster than we're speaking. It's, oh, it's very fast. <laughs> so what you're telling me is, even Irish people can't speak that fast. But so the Cork time of people maybe. 
this is and what happens okay so then so they so, were like fine we're doing it so it's 2010 and they, they this is years in the making they have a huge team. They have lots of ex-NASA people. They have engineers. So Jonathan is the medical director. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's exactly, this Felix chap looks exactly what the you way imagine. you'd expect someone oh, yeah. who's going so all He's American. like a hot Austrian man. Hot, like he hot. could play himself in the film adaptation. Yeah, of he this, looks like, like Mark Wahlberg crossed with Brad Pitt, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And he was actually like 43 when they were doing this, um, when they were, when they tried to do this. Yeah, sure. Men only get better with age. Um, <laughs> she says. Men allowed to do more and more as they age, yeah. as opposed to women. <laughs> um, so anyway, he up until then had been kind of like a stunt guy. This is Felix. Yeah. He uh, skydived and base jumped. So he base jumped off buildings. I'm like, boring. <laughs> base jumped, jumped off buildings. Do you know where he base jumped off was? Do you know the Jesus Get out of here, South Brazil. America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he jumped off the hand. Very high. Isn't that fucking cool? Do you think he became yeah. addicted you to the You gotta go and have a look at that Jesus, lads. Yeah. That Jesus is something else. It's very big. It's fucking cool. large. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That was one comparison that I found that kind of helped me think a bit about the size of these balloons. Um, the Statue of Liberty. Okay. Was the same size roughly as the balloon they're using in this oh that's much bigger than I was imagining she fucking huge yes enormous unbelievably huge like imagine that towering over Dublin something that enormous with great difficulty Many I read one machines. thing and I keep I couldn't find it then again to put in my notes and I was like did I fucking was that a fugue state where it said there was 40 acres of material to make the balloon but I'm like that can't be right maybe did, didn't I John maybe Lennon live on line. 40 acres Anyway, so Jonathan, medical director, right? So he had done stuff like with the team, he had created all this tech where they could uh, monitor Felix's vital uh, signs in near real time, even though he was in space. Mm -hmm. And so if all else failed in terms of them being able to communicate with him, they'd still be able to see exactly what was going wrong. This is, you see, Clark always with a mind to saving people and trying to improve on protocols. So basically he was saying if everyone in space wears something like this, it means that if he, for example, is falling and has lost consciousness, they will know what's going on in his body and potentially be ready with the appropriate course of treatment. Gotcha. The moment he touches down to earth. Very good. If he's not already beyond treatment. He's got a migraine. fallen. Norofen plus. Ready (laughs) and able. Okay, so then, right, so that's Jonathan's role in all this. He's like, I've got to keep your body healthy and alive. Joe Kittinger has more of like a holistic role. He's like a sort of a soothsayer or a kind of mentor you know right. to right. Felix he's the only person who's ever done it before of course and sorry he's in I his forgot ear. who he was yeah. yeah I forgot so he's kind of trying to coach Felix through the kind of mental challenges of course of all this and so okay will we just have a quick chat about what's going to happen if it goes wrong yeah yeah okay so dying in the stratosphere way more probable than living mm. it is not a, it is a not a hostile it is a hostile, hostile environment <laughs> okay it's like a family dinner it is very hostile okay so Nick's in a pressure suit which is like a micro it's almost like a space sh- space suit space shuttle built around you practically if anything should happen to his suit and there was a breach the air in his lungs 
would instantly multiply 120 times in volume. Exploding his chest apart. If Felix reacted to the explosive decompression by holding his breath, his lungs would rupture like overinflated balloons. He had to exhale while it was happening. But if he did let the air escape through his mouth and nose, he would soon experience the sensation of the saliva on his tongue beginning to boil. boil. Yeah. Oh my God. I can imagine it well. I mean, the, the closest comparison I have is if you've ever been really, really cold and you can feel the snot inside your nose freezing. Very unusual. <laughs> the opposite. Yeah, very unusual. So he... Jesus, that's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. So that's it. He's nearly 60,000 feet above what's called Armstrong's line where water's boiling point drops by several degrees. So anyway, then, right, within moments, the water in his subcutaneous tissues so that's like the kind of fat layer isn't it or is it under the fat layer in his tissue and his body begins vaporizing as well and this in combination with the expansion of the interior gases so basically any unfarted farts in his guts are expanding (gasps) and this is a process called ebulism ebulism and it causes his body to inflate Basically. And boil at the same time. Yes. And steaming away. So. Pressure cooker. He will hopefully lose consciousness within the first 15 to 30 seconds. But that's still long. If you think about how long 15 seconds is as saliva's boiling on your tongue and your fucking unfarted farts are expanding, fucking blowing you up. And then he also will remain, even if he loses consciousness, he'll be alive and swelling and distorting. Stuffed inside a suit, pressing against the outside. For five to eight minutes. Whoa, that's a lot. And so this... A small version of this happened to Joe Kittinger back in 1960 where he had a breach in one of his gloves and his hand underwent this ebulism swelling and it swelled to completely fill the glove and only the constraining of the glove kind of stopped it from getting any further. Yeah. So his, his own swelling skin plugged up the hole. Yeah. Madness. So he had a very tiny idea of what would happen. So even if, okay, say that doesn't happen, no breach of the suit, you could still fuck yourself by just jumping badly. Because of the spin. Yes. Spinnies. Yeah. So any kind of skydiver knows how to control themselves in uh, in their fall. So Not a beginner one. <laughs> That's so, why you go with the man. Yeah. That's, or a woman. Or a woman, or a woman, or, or they, but like... <laughs> Or a person on your back. A person on your back, yeah. Um, Dick pressed against your arse. <laughs> it's actually weird. It's more like up against, pressed against your back. Because you're almost like a little joey. You know, like kangaroos. Yeah, there's a lower You're kind of you? low on them. I mean, have you guys done it? No. Your head. no. You get into their lap to get strapped on. I don't think I could Between their do legs. I, I, I don't think I could do it. You're just like... Jumped out of a plane. You, though, as a tandem... Like oh, novice you, you don't jump You're just getting pushed You know what you, happens yeah. It's really crazy You get They get out To the edge of the Airplane And the door And you go first But you're kind of Hanging under them So there's a really Weird moment Where your body Is almost bananaed Under the plane a bit Before they jump Horrendous 
Anyway, so this so guy. I just really enjoying it. So this guy is fully aware of all of the potential dangers. He's signed up. Yeah. So in normal skydiving conditions, they can use like there's a sort of sense of the air being kind of like a rich atmosphere that they can pivot and turn and spin. But up in near space, Different. there is nothing. Absolutely nothing up there in terms of air, air, wind or... Yeah, it's a vacuum. And so he won't be able to gain control of his fall for at least the first five minutes, which is very long. And what does he have to do in that time? Just kind of see what happens. So it just means that he has to fucking jump right. Okay, good shout. if his one foot pushes even slightly harder than the other. That'll he will him. fall forward into a spin and there'll be nothing he can do to stop it. So he must oh. be exactly in time. Two feet leave. Exactly, exactly the same perfect. time. And then... No whether, stepping out. So it's a jump out then, really, isn't it? To get the two feet out at the same time. Or just a falling... Is it just or a head first. So, yeah, yeah they ju- he just falls forward from the step. Gotcha. But obviously, I mean, like, he knows what he's doing. It's yeah. definitely harder than just falling. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, just so lean into it. Even if he's not spinning, the gravity will propel him to faster than nearly 700 miles an hour speed of sound within the first half minute of his fall. So... No falling man has ever survived falling through the sound barrier. What and it's does all, it feel like? It's all up for kind of debate what the fuck this might even, what might even happen. So a lot of the worries around the team preparing him, they are worried that there will be a sonic boom from him falling so fast. What is that again? And that the shock waves from the sonic boom might be... Strong enough to just rip a hole in his suit. Um, And then, okay, if he is spinning, if he goes into a spin, which is what they're really worried about, at about 90,000 feet, the atmosphere starts to, he starts to enter the atmosphere and he may be able to kind of right himself. Um, But equally they're like but it's also possible that you'll enter the atmosphere and it'll just make you spin even faster we don't know right listen to what could happen right with the spinning this is so grim a sustained high rotations per minute spin so that's round 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 would eventually cause him to lose consciousness but nobody knows precisely because it's never been done before what number of revolutions per minute will kill him but tests on monkeys have demonstrated that at 145 revolutions per minute, the brainstem separates from the spinal column. Yeah. Oh my God. Isn't That's that it. so fucking grim? Immediate death. And so they're preparing and they're preparing. This is years in the preparation. They are doing uh, test jumps out of airplanes that are flying at the max. But like even during one of the test jumps... They had a safety diver accompany him on the test jump. And they were only jumping from about 30,000 feet, which is a commercial airliner. And at one point, the safety diver fell out of the plane. (laughs) Before Felix had even fucking gotten his hat on. You take the eye off the ball. Exactly. Accidents can and do happen. That's it. 
But right, the other aspect as they're leading up to this this fucking huge feat is an aspect that's even more mercurial than science. Human beings, the psychology of the whole thing. Yes. What was happening to Felix in the lead up was that he was actually really fucking starting to shit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Natch. So he had done jumping off buildings, as we said, jumped off Jesus's hand, big JC. He had also gone across the English Channel in a on a wing. Right. So, so he was he, you know, yeah. I'm sure you're well able, Felix. I'd say they constantly were like, Felix, you're Come well on. able. Yeah. And Felix was suffering extreme panic attacks. Um, whenever he had to spend hours inside the suit. Yes. So it was the claustrophobia inside the suit, coupled with the stress of what was present, what was in front of him. Yeah. That he was entering a psychological tailspin, if not an actual tailspin. Cassie's watching Cassie's the watch. video. I have it yeah. here because I'm sure you're going to get to it. This whole thing was obviously sponsored by Red Bull. Yeah, I didn't want to ruin oh, the story. Fuck. I didn't want to ruin it by us knowing that. But no, look, sorry. who cares? Who else has the money? Well, that's, that's it. it. Um, but imagine listen, one of the stresses actually... of this, uh, organizing all this, is some poor fucker had a deck where they were going out to Red Bull and being like, this is what your sponsorship will cost you. And then back, not in NASA, in some office somewhere, there's a little social media intern being asked, can you take this footage and format it for Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) We need a 20 by 20 tile for Instagram. So the thing about it is, what were the chances of Felix dying? Very high. Extremely high. So was he going to pull out? Even with all of the preparation. I mean, look at... The Columbia disaster that exactly. happened in 2003. Exactly. You know, like they were doing something there that they had done 25 times before. You know, it's yeah. really, it's always high. I think that's the thing. You just, we just get sucked into a kind of a, it's worked before it'll work again mentality, which as we see time and again with big scale disasters is not the case. So Felix was committed even though it was claustrophobic. Well, he wasn't going to pull out or he was. Uh, no, at one point uh, he ditched an endurance test that he was on his way to which was more time spent in the pressurized suit and he just went straight to the airport and fled the united states and they were like we need to get felix back it can be very hard when Honestly, you've committed to something imagine. and you change your mind and then you're picking up the phone COVID. putting on I an wouldn't accent want to risk it have been a close contact exactly i'd say genuinely he was answering his phone screening all unknown numbers he was like fuck yeah. them Anyway, they managed gonna find you. to get him back to the States. And so there's a really interesting interview with Joe Kittinger because he was instrumental in getting Felix literally up there. So he said that people get, this is Joe talking, this is a quote. Some people get claustrophobia in a pressure suit. I was there with Felix when he went into one for his first time. You can always tell claustrophobia by the eyes. I watched very carefully and Felix did not show any signs of it. For the next three or four years, he did the altitude test chambers and everything else in the pressure suit. Imagine the three day or before four years in the making. Yeah, so they, he had to be in the suit for like four hours at a time. I just pain. It the just hoop. sounds fucking awful. Yeah. Anyway, the day before they were due to leave for the fucking jump, he said he couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I would too. He put it on the suit for about Tommy an hour troubles. and then he had to get get it off and he quit the project and he went home. And it took five months and a team of psychiatrists and sports psychologists to finally like, convince him that him he alone. could do the jump. But if he didn't want to do it, 
he should be allowed to oh, not God, do it. I don't know. When he came back, so the whole thing was postponed for about two, a year and a half because of Felix, Felix freaking like, out. Fuck no. Yeah, rightly so. Like I'm on the, Team Felix. Leave him be. Ascent yeah. was going to uh, going to take about three hours. Like so he, he was had going to, to be, be alone in this pressurized heading suit, for space, just slowly rising up to space. He didn't need sports psychologists. He needed some CBT therapy that would help him <laughs> how to say no to people. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. what he needed. Exactly. So exactly. Kittinger went on to say, when he came back to the project, I was very concerned for his life. If he got up to the altitude at 128,000 feet alone above the earth, basically, and decided he didn't want to jump, he'd probably die because he could never get back into his capsule. So basically, if he managed to get himself all the way onto the step, mm-hmm. yeah, he wouldn't be able to get back in. Like if he froze there on the step. Exactly. That's it. So um, they were literally trying to decide whether it was irresponsible to get him to go up there. Yes! And so Kittinger says, his life depended on my decision. So Kittinger was the one to make the call. I got this one psychiatrist we called Psych Mike. Psych Mike. Mike, Who had worked with Felix. And I said, Mike, will you give me your word that Felix is not going to chicken out when he gets up there and is ready to step out? Or maybe halfway up because he can't stand the pressure suit. And Mike said, he thinks Felix will be okay. And I looked at him and I said, if he gets killed, it's your fault. You are the one testifying he won't chicken out. It's not psych Mike's fault. And I'll tell you what, Mike's eyes got big. He took a deep breath and he told me that he was sure Felix was all right. And I think that psych Mike might have been like the 18th psychiatrist that Joe Kittinger asked before he got the answer he wanted. So anyway... Apparently Felix also knew he had to do it because it would make him a millionaire. Yeah. He had trained for five years. There was a lot of ego involved. He he didn't ever get over the feeling of claustrophobia, but his will to be rich and famous was greater than his fear of the pressure suit, says Kittinger. I tell you what, now I would do it. I would also do it. I can do it. (laughs) I would absolutely do it. Full turnaround. A hundred grand, two hundred grand. How much did she get paid? A couple of millions. 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 Absolutely. Millions doesn't even seem like enough, to be honest, I reckon. A lot of Red Bull. They couldn't even give him a can of Red Bull. No. Imagine them trying to sell it to Red Bull. No, it might kill him if he brings a pressurized container Contain. containing bubbles up into the air and they're like could he not just stand on the step and yeah. drink hold it red bull. Yeah. just lift his visor just for a minute up yeah. in the stratosphere hold his breath or let it out which one's better again out <laughs> so anyway um 2012 october 14th millions watching from around the world felix baumgartner Stepped out of his chute, stepped out of his capsule, and just pitched. It looked like he pitched. Let's it see. looks like he pitched yeah, his yeah, head yeah. first. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, so he's actually traveling at 600 miles per hour. He went into a violent spin Jesus. after a minute, and he heard on the comms thing saying, I feel like I have to pass out. Oh dear. But he actually didn't. Didn't. As far as I can see, as far as I can remember, he broke the speed of sound. Um, he was going at one point eight hundred and forty-three miles per hour, which is Mach one point two five. Eight hundred miles an hour. Yeah, that's insane. The actual height of the jump was one hundred twenty 
seven thousand foot or about four Everests. I know wow. I always think in terms of Everests. He free falled, free fell for a hundred and nineteen thousand feet. So that is a huge portion of the overall height. Yeah. He just free fell. He free fell for four minutes. That's what I was going to ask. How long was he falling? Like four whole minutes. Imagine what that feels like. Like actually Joe Kittinger free fell for a fractionally longer, like by about 19 seconds. But his free fall, I think, counts more almost because he was actually traveling at such a higher speed. Yeah. Just incredible. Incredible. And I highly recommend watching there videos is of it. There's his violent spin. So there's yeah. an amazing, the footage here is incredible. Yeah. And uh, well worth a watch. You know what's crazy this about is how the violent the, um, spin. Fucking hell. Looks so dizzying. The curve of the earth flattens and inverts at different points. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy looking? I think it's just like, it's obviously an optical illusion or whatever, but it's crazy. Like the man is not on earth there. He's did falling through space, guys. One minute How did Felix seconds. land? Uh, with his parachute. So he, he lands on his feet. He lands on his feet. He lands on his feet. Yeah. Sorry, is he alive? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He survives. We're not watching someone's death as we speak. <laughs> not always. Did Felix go on to do anything else? Well, he did go on to uh, voice some pretty problematic views. Oh, <laughs> interesting. He went quite right wing. Let's right. put it that way. Maybe he was. But then his wife is like this really cool humanitarian. So I'm like, oh, oh listen. Um, but do you know what I thought was really interesting was that his heart rate during the fall, like here at this point yeah. where he's falling above the earth, is 180 beats per minute. So it's like a fast run. Well, like a. I looked it all up and stuff. So adults at rest, 60 to 100 beats per minute is yeah. normal. A, an adult man who's 43, like Felix, after ex- exercise, their highest beats per minute could be around 142, apparently. He was at oh, 180. Almost. For the most. Having a heart attack. For the most terrifying section, I guess. Look at him. Lands on his feet. Bloody incredible. What does that feel like? Imagine being him right now. Look, his hands go up. He's just a relief. And then the he- all the Red Bull helicopters enter the screen. And then <laughs> cut to Incredible. Red Bull logo. I know. I left out the Red Bull element because I just thought it cheapened it. Well, slightly. somebody had well, to pay for it. Has so to. it wasn't a NASA project. But this also, was the, a, stuff they they learned. Exactly. the stuff they learned in that is. Speaking is wild. of needing a sponsor. Also, if you know? you're listening to the Creep Dive <laughs> and thinking to yourself, I'd like to fuck three women out of a plane, we're on oh, board. That would be Absolutely. Fun. Do you know a few years later, this kind of annoys me, a few years later, a Google executive called Alan just oh. broke his record. Alan! Alan! <laughs> yeah. Alan. Just some fucking rich guy from Google. It's classic Bezos stuff. Isn't here. it? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't even chat about Richard Branson and all his enthusiasm for uh, <laughs> flying balloons and things like that. He holds up a hot air balloon record too. On his own. With a lot. Sorry. His imagine own jumping head. from space though and like the first thing you Google is, when you Google it, it says Alan and Google is the prompt. Like imagine only being known the for The only Google, Google Alan. <laughs> okay, my God. Sophie. Sweating. I, I feel like I just... That was, that was incredible. Loved it. Loved that story. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, Except for all the dead people yeah. as a start. But listen, R.I.P. Lauren Clark. You love Laurel to hear Clark. about uh, the human beings pushing things to the absolute limit. The limits. Uh, we'll be back in the hive with some mouse utopia and predictions of global 
demise. Uh, and maybe some people fucking ghosts. Yeah. See you there. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.